are all miracles and must make the most of our limited time here. Each of us have these unique gifts to contribute and it's our job to develop these gifts and give them away. The Preschool SLP is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others. Being an SLP is a mission. Let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game-changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the shiniest versions of ourselves and of our clients? We're here at the drawing board for a reason. Together, let's create better. This episode is for you if you work with any child that is using an AAC device. So the child can have any condition whatsoever. It can be any age. What I'm going to cover today are 10 common practices when it comes to AAC that the research indicates are ineffective. And I'm going to share with you what the research indicates to be effective instead. So please join me if you work with any child that uses AAC devices and make sure to share this with friends that use AAC devices or family members that use AAC devices with their children. Together, we are better. We're here to empower each other and give these children a voice. So this research I'm sharing, a lot of it is hot off the press. This is 2023-2024 studies. So this is really good stuff I'm sharing. So I'm going to cover 10 common practices that are simply ineffective and what to do instead. So the first common practice is using too few symbols. So you may remember some approaches would start with one symbol and then move to two symbols, then move to three and four and five and so forth. You do not want to do that. It's simply starting too small. When you start really small like that, we're going to talk a little bit about this later, the symbols move around. So you don't have that consistency of where these symbols are located. So what do the experts say to do instead? You want to start minimally if possible with a board that is eight by eight. There's enough room to have 64 symbols on that board. So if the child has extremely poor motor skills, so when you're looking at 64 symbols, it's very hard for them to accurately point to the symbols. What you may want to do is simply hide some of the symbols on the board so that they're more spaced out. But you never, ever want to just start with one symbol or two symbols on a board, because if you're going to do that, then it's going to become a painstaking process for them to actually develop a core working vocabulary that can actually have any functional means to it. And also that likely means you're going to move symbols around. So if you're starting with the board of 64 symbols and the child has extremely poor motor skills, which is sometimes the case, and those motor skills and the point needs to develop, and it's really, really gross motor. So I have a lot of children that they can lift their hand, but they do it in kind of like a zombie-like way in which they're using their shoulder because the gross motor has developed, but the fine motor has not, and they're kind of palming the iPad or they're palming the core board. 
In that case, you may want to have some space in which maybe you have 10 symbols showing, but you have space between the symbols in which some other symbols are hidden. The first thing we want to remember, start with as many symbols as the child can handle. You don't want to start with as few symbols as possible. You want to start with as many symbols as possible. And like I said before, if the child has really underdeveloped motor skills, you may have to hide some of the symbols to develop some accurate motor planning. And then over time, you display those symbols. Number two. You do not want to move the symbols around ever if possible. You always want to keep them in the same place. And that's because what we want to develop is efficient form of communication. We don't want the child to have to be searching for where the words are. We want that to be automatic. For that to be automatic, that means that we are going to have to not move them around. The more repetition, the more automatic they're going to become. The motor planning, knowing where and thinking where is this symbol, and the motor programming in which the body already automatically knows where to move because of repeated movement patterns, and the motor execution, that's only going to happen through repetition, repetition, repetition. And repetition is only going to happen if you do not move the symbols around. So I know that there's been a really popular approach that is very much evidence-based, but like I said, whenever you approach intervention, approach it like the swan. You swallow the milk and you spit out the dirt from the Bhagavad Gita. Swallow the milk, spit out the dirt. So what you're going to want to say is, am I going to move these symbols around? No. I'm not going to move the symbols around. We'll talk about later what we can use from that approach, but not moving the symbols around ever. So that's why it's really important to have a robust board where maybe you have 64 symbols there. And if the child has extremely poor motor skills, maybe they're not all visible, but they're not going to move. So we covered number one, which is starting with too few symbols. We covered number two, which is moving the symbols around. We want to give them as robust a system as possible. We never, ever want to move the symbols so that those are automatic and the child can efficiently and fluently communicate. We don't want the children searching for words when they're trying to communicate. Number three, this is another do not do common practice. Have children pick up symbols and then locate a place, put the symbols on a place, and then maneuver it. So I call this like the hand claw technique if you go to the grocery store. It's like the claw at the grocery store where you're getting a stuffed animal. The child has to go, drop down, pick it up, come over here, drop down, pick it up, come over here, drop down. This requires a really high level of visual spatial motor skills. Now, this is a great area of weakness for children with autism. You do not want them to do something that's the hardest thing for them to do, which is, I call it the hand claw technique. Go search, find a symbol, lift it up, adhere it to another spot, lift it up, adhere it, come to you, and then release it. 
the hand claw technique. The research has been done on this. This is very challenging for children with autism. So this is not an efficient way to communicate. Remember, we want communication to be based on something that is easy so that the child can develop automaticity so that the child can fluently and effortlessly communicate. We don't want to pick the most effortful action. We want to get rid of that completely. If I use sentence strips, for instance, maybe I do take a symbol and I put it on look at and I put the symbol on at the end of the sentence strip for the child to print reference. Sentence strips we're going to talk about later are very powerful, but I don't have the child searching for a symbol, clawing it up, putting it on, lifting the symbol strip up, clawing it up, lifting it on. That is old way of thinking. That way of thinking is simply doesn't have any benefit, the research indicates, when it comes to improving their communication skills. And it's also extremely challenging and effortful for many children with autism. So it's not an efficient way to help the child fluently communicate. All right, let's look at number four. Number four is beginning low tech. Now, in the past, we thought, okay, if a child is picking up a sentence strip and they're exchanging it to you and then they're reading it, that's much more valuable than a child reading, I want cookies on a tablet. That's what we intuitively thought. That's what I thought. I'm like, you don't need to research this. Of course, if the child is giving you a sentence strip and then print referencing and reading it, that's way better than them looking at a tablet and touching I want cookies, it's better that they do it on the paper and they hand it over. Well, they did the research. They did randomly controlled trials in which they said if they point to the word on the tablet or if they hand it to you, it's equal. The communication gains, the social gains, it was all equal, whether it was on the tablet or whether it was on a piece of paper. So what that tells us is that low tech has no benefits that high tech doesn't have. So when we're comparing apples to apples and we're saying, okay, they both have the same communication gains. They both have the same socialization gains, but one of these has thousands of words already pre-installed in it, a vocabulary of core words that empower this child to have conversations. And the other one has maybe a hundred at most, mostly request symbols for the child. It's not even, what do you want to go, high tech or low tech? High tech. So we want to start with high tech. There's no benefit to starting with low tech. Give them the robust communication system. So in the past, I did think, well, the sentence strip is more beneficial. It's more of a social interaction. But when they researched it, they said, There was no social benefit in the sentence strip. So why would I give a child 100 words at most vocabulary that are mostly requests, right, in a Velcro book when I could give the child an iPad that has a variety of pragmatic communication symbols, that has a variety of vocabulary words that are mostly core vocabulary that can get this child across any setting with any individual in any any situation. Should I give them that? Or should I give them a Velcro book with lots of things they can request? Well, this is why we wanna start 
high tech. And the good news is a lot of the school systems are providing now free of charge these high tech systems. The good news is the insurance companies are covering these high tech systems. It's worth that extra effort to give these children a voice. The next common AAC mistake, number five, is adhering to only one type of AAC. So a lot of my friends, and I have no problem with people in ABA, I'm trained in ABA, I'm trained in floor time, I'm trained in everything. And when it comes to every evidence-based approach out there in autism, and like I say, I approach all of it like a swan, the swan says, let's swallow the nutrients, let's spit out the dirt. Well, a lot of my colleagues in ABA, for instance, will say, you should use one AAC system one device, and you should use that device across every single setting. But the research indicates that children prefer to use different devices across different settings, just like you and I do not use one device to communicate. We have our telephone, we text, we use our computers, we use a pen or a paper. We have many different ways of communicating. We're multimodal. Well, children are no different. Sometimes they're at the beach. Sometimes they're in the bathtub. Sometimes at a pool. You're not going to want to bring an iPad to those situations. And there it makes sense to have a core board. So sometimes they might want to write. Sometimes they might want to use a a picture board, a core board. Sometimes they might want to use pictures. Sometimes they might want to use the iPad. For instance, in our classrooms, a lot of our kiddos are using Lamp for Life. That's what the broad-based communication system that they're using. But they're also using the PEC system for snack time. And that makes perfect sense because the children come in with different snacks every day. Sometimes there's apples, sometimes it's oranges, sometimes it's bananas. So they want to know what's on the menu today. What's the menu of the day? And it needs to change every day. Well, this is what we've got. We've got these three items for you today. And then they're able to select. Well, I don't want the Doritos. I want the Takis. You know, it's very specific. I don't want the Chips Ahoy. I want the Oreo cookies or I want the fish crackers. So that's when it really makes sense to have that specific fringe vocabulary out there when it comes to ordering your food and using the sentence strip with that. While they're eating, I want the Fritos. I don't want the the tortilla chips. And that's when it really makes sense to use packs. So we use a standard practice. We have that available. And we also have core boards available to the children throughout the day. That makes sense. Children are multimodal. They have many ways of different ways of communicating. Another thing that we do is everything in the classroom and everything we show them during group time, there's always the printed word on there, always. So that too is a way to increase the communication skills through literacy. All right, so let's look at number six. The number six common mistake that you're going to see a lot of is not having print on symbols. Now, this is something that I have very little patience for because there's no reason not to have print on every single picture you use in a classroom, for instance, for children with autism or in a speech therapy room or any sort of environment for children because many of our children learn to talk through their eyes. They learn from reading the words, not from hearing them. 
And that's because many of our children have auditory processing difficulties. So if you can't hear the word, it's going to be difficult to learn how to say it. But if you can read the word, which is how many of my children develop the ability to talk, they read first, then they're able to say the word. And then they're able to not only say the word, the latest research is showing children who are minimally speaking, their language comprehension, their language expression, and their speech are improved when you put print with the pictures and objects. So print is everything. And I even tell parents, put the captions on on the TV. Play the captions. This is going to help your child understand and improve their language skills, seeing that print married with the video. Let's go to number seven. This is another all too common practice we have in AAC, and that is using AAC only for requesting. So I think there was some wonderful research done by Amy Weatherby, and this was years back. She was looking at her CSBS. She was looking at toddlers that were suspected of having autism. And what she found is that those who commented are those that had the best outcomes at elementary age. It wasn't about requesting. Requesting was hardly predictive of the outcomes at elementary age, but commenting was predictive. So why is it that we put off commenting in some of the programs? That's the last thing we're going to do with the device. So what we want to do is we want to comment from day one. What are we going to do? We're going to make sure that if we're using a core board, if we're using a broad-based device, whatever we're using, there's comments, there's how can you ask questions, there's how can you answer questions, how can you share information, how can you request a variety of pragmatic functions on that board. This is another issue that I've had, and I'm not putting down people with ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis. We are all in this together. They are part of the team, and we're in an ocean, and we are waves in that ocean all working together to, to, help, to help this child and empower this child as much as possible. So I, I want to make that very clear that I'm not putting down the work of people with ABA, but I'm going to say many people in the verbal behavioral analysis or the ABA program, they're a proponent of building a vocabulary in the beginning based on what's known as mans or requests. So they're like, what are the top 50 things that your child likes to do or that your child likes to consume or that your child likes to play? So it's going to be based on request. And then we're going to go from there. I challenge that. I say right from the beginning, we know that comments are worth so much more than requests. Go ahead and have a variety of symbols for these kids to communicate with. So move away from that idea that we're going to start with your mans, your request, and we're going to go and have a vocabulary of 50 requests. And then later on, we're going to go and dip into other pragmatic functions. Go ahead and introduce those pragmatic functions, model them right from the beginning. 
So now we're going to go on to number eight. The number eight common mistake is to hold off on AAC for the purpose of letting children naturally develop speech. So people are saying, oh, 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 he's just starting to talk. I don't want to use AAC. I heard him say a word yesterday. He's going to use the AAC instead of talking because that's easier for him because he's a visual learner. That is not at all the case. What the research indicates is opposite is true. The research indicates that children learn to talk, surprise, surprise, when you go multimodal with the language exposure. And what that means is they learn to talk when not only do they see the word in print, which is crucially important, they see a picture of it, they see gestures put with the word, you're using big charades with it, more is more. When it comes to teaching children how to talk or teaching improving their language skills, AAC is going to improve it because they're not only hearing the word, they're seeing the word, they're seeing the print, they're seeing gestures with the word, they're seeing sign language with the word. All of that is going to expedite their speech development. It's going to make it happen more quickly because they're learning the word not through one way, through their ears which tends to be a weakness, especially if you're working with children with autism, which it's estimated over 90% have auditory processing issues, but they're seeing it through touch, through an approach such as prompt. Maybe they're seeing it as from an approach of visual in which they're seeing the picture or the object. They're seeing the print. They're seeing you use gestures such as I use in dynamic tactile temporal cueing and showing them with my body what we're doing with the mouth. So the more input you can give them, so that they can experience words with the more senses possible, the more you're gonna expedite their speech development. So that's why a big turning point in my career was when I realized that a majority of my children that were not developing speech had a significant speech motor disorder. And when I started looking at the speech motor disorder, I knew for them to develop speech, I was going to need to do what we do with their children with childhood apraxia of speech, which is I need to go multimodal. I need to give them dynamic tactile temporal cueing if I want to improve their speech outcomes. So it was a big moment in my career in which I did a big leap and improving in my effectiveness in working with children by going dynamic tactile temporal cueing multimodal when it came to developing their speech. All right, let's look at the next one. Number nine, focusing on fringe vocabulary instead of core vocabulary. Now, as I mentioned before, fringe vocabulary is this specific word choice. So I told you before, like it made sense for PEX, hey, look, We've got the fish crackers here, we have the Takis here, we have the Fritos here. What do you want? A lot of our children are highly selective eaters and it really does matter what they're gonna be getting. However, when it comes to fringe, you're only learning one specific word. There's a goldfish crackers, a goldfish crackers, a goldfish cracker, a Takis, a Taki, a Taki, and a Frito-Lay is a Frito-Lay and a Frito-Lay. This is fringe vocabulary. 
when we talk about core vocabulary, we can use the word eat, and eat is going to cover 80 to 90% of the words when it comes to eating food. So you have this word that's this umbrella word that's core that's going to cover a lot of words. So when you learn that word eat, you get all this food, right? <laughs> You're covered. This is a very efficient way to fluently communicate what you want. And it turns out that our conversations, we use a lot of core vocabulary and very much more rarely use fringe vocabulary, only when we're really, really specifying something like I like this instead of that. So the research has actually been done and it's shown that when you use core vocabulary, these children in AAC devices become much more skilled, fluent communicators. So core does reign supreme over fringe vocabulary. And we're going to talk about that now as a segue into number 10. And that is going to be avoid customizing the AAC device. So if you're like me, I have a MacBook, I also have a PC, and I do not want any computer scientist to customize my laptop. I don't want them to say, okay, I know what you like, okay, you love speech pathology, you love research, so I'm going to make this specific to you. Okay, I'm going to put these symbols here and these symbols here, and I'm going to make it do X, Y, and Z. Because what's going to happen is then I am not going to be able to use another MacBook. So when this MacBook Pro blows up, like my last one did, because I was just working too hard, and it blows up, then what am I going to do? I get a new MacBook Pro. I don't know what to do with it. I am basically handicapped because I don't know how to use a MacBook because mine was so customized that it was handicapping to me because I wasn't speaking the universal language of how MacBooks are set up. I don't have that language. I don't know how that works or how PCs are set up because mine was so customized. So when we talk about language, language is a shared set of arbitrary symbols. So we wanted to have the same language that child A is using, that child B and C and D and E and F and G and H are using. Recently, there was a great article on the ASHA Leader, which talked about this concept of one size fits most. And one size fits most is when you're considering an AAC device, consider what are the child's peers in the class using? We don't want them speaking different languages. There's benefit to them having the same language that they shared. What are the teachers in the classroom using? What is the family using? Is there a sibling that's using a device? So you want to think about what device is also going to work with this is the language that the child's peers speak so that they can speak the same language. That's hugely important. So what I'm encouraging you to do, this is a break from the past in which speech pathologists were also computer programmers and they'd go home in the evening and they would individualize everything. They would take the child's device and make it individualized because the more you customize it, the more isolative it is for the child. You're creating a language that only one child is going to speak. We want the child to speak a language 
and these devices that many different children speak, that many different adults, that many different professionals speak. So universality is really, really important. And we need to kind of get away from this idea that individualization is always best. Because sometimes you have to think about the question that I like that the Ashley posed is what device that fits most in the group? And thinking about what fits most is a good question to ask. So for instance, I'm going to give you an example of why I've been using the Lamp for Life, and I'm not an affiliate, I'm no way associated with them, is because I have pre-installed the 4,000 symbols. And on the first page, I have the 83 core symbols, okay? And that's not going to change. And then after those 83 core symbols, you go to the next one, which is largely categories, and then you go to a third set where you get into some fringe symbols, but what I was going to say is that that lamp for life is to grow with a child for the life. So that vocabulary doesn't change when the child's four years old or 40 years old. It grows with them for life. Just like this MacBook is not going to change. You know, every time I pick up a new MacBook, it's not going to be a different language. It's the same language. That consistency becomes very important so the child can efficiently communicate and it can efficiently communicate as an adult because the motor plans, the motor programs and the execution is automatic. It's kind of like the QWERTY keyboard. Yes, it is inefficient. The keyboard is inefficiently set up because in the old fashioned days, everyone knows the story, the typewriter gets jammed and they wanted us to go more slowly when we typed so that the keys wouldn't get jammed. However, today we could do a more efficient setup, but we don't. And we don't do it because we have developed automatic motor plans. And in doing something that would turn people's world upside down, moving the letters around, moving the symbols around would turn their lives upside down. This idea that Lamp for Life has, which is like, okay, this iPad broke. And that happens all the time with free scores. Here's another one. It's the same as the one before. Okay, you're moving to another school. There's the device for you. Your, your peers are speaking the same language. You have a shared set of symbols that you share. This is an, a really important move away from where we are in the past, where everyone had their own language that they were speaking, which is a very insular way of being. We really do want to think about the universality of the language, the symbols that they're using. And can they communicate fluently with their peers, with other teachers, with adults, with a community, instead of just with a device that only, a language that only they themselves speak. So those are the 10 common, common, common AAC mistakes today, where the research is saying we need to rethink this. We need to go in a different direction. This is simply not evidence-based practice, even though it's common practice. And if you want to learn more, I encourage you to go to speechpathology.com for the month of April for Autism Awareness Month. I'm going to be presenting live 12 noon every week in April on Thursdays. So Thursday, 12 noon Eastern time, show up for me and say, hey, Kelly Vess, I listened to your podcast, the preschool SLP. That'll mean so much to me. 
I know you're with me at the intervention table and it means so much, but a shout out would just mean like winning the lottery for me. So that said, I want you to roll up your sleeves and make the world a better place. One child at a time, you're always going to be first.